God, we come before you this morning with humbleness, gratefulness, thanksgiving. We also come, O oh Lord, asking for your assistance and your help. We ask you to touch us, O oh Lord, and grant something, O oh Lord, that we're not worthy to receive. We ask you to touch us with divine enablement, your power, your strength, your anointing, so that we can effectively communicate the truth of God's Word. We know that your Word is powerful. We know that your Word is quick and living. Your Word is a healer. Your Word informs us in righteousness. We ask you to touch this hour of preaching your Word and ministering to these people. We pray in the strong name of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. And everybody said amen. amen. When we examine the historical documents of Josephus, Eusebius, other historians of the first century, you discover that the church, first century church, was a persecuted church. The various Caesarian rulers that sat upon the throne of Rome and ruled its empire weren't uh, favorable toward Christians. Eventually, there was a Christian uh, emperor, Constantine, and he moved the whole headquarters from Rome to Constantinople in Turkey and uh, relocated the church, as it were. But eventually, the church found its way back to Rome as its ecclesiastical head. Out from the headquarters church in Jerusalem, which we have Jewish people who have been converted to the Christian faith, there went people called missionaries as we call them today, but people that carried the gospel to various parts of the world. In fact, they are given credit that in the, the first century they reached the whole known world with the gospel of Jesus, even as far as Spain. Uh, in fact, we understand from historical documents that Peter traveled all the way to Spain and preached the gospel and was uh, martyred there. He was crucified and was crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Savior. So the church in the first century, you've got to understand, lived under great oppression, great oppression. Many of them were killed. I've told you about uh, Nero and the terrible execution, the genocide uh, of Christians, as it were, all over the world, everywhere Rome uh, occupied territory, there were Christians that were there that were persecuted. And uh, not only were they persecuted by uh, the Romans, they were persecuted by uh, Judaism and the people in uh, the, the, the church that had converted to Christianity but had not altogether embraced the tenets of Christian, the Christian faith. And in fact, some of them wanted to mix law-keeping and works righteousness with the uh, grace, the free grace offer of the Lord Jesus, which Christianity uh, believes in and, and preaches and spreads everywhere we name the name of Christ. And grace in our understanding and our, our way of, of thinking, grace is the mercy of the Lord Jesus upon the entire race of humans on this earth. And grace and mercy, the Bible said, it is all of grace that it might be by faith. Grace is the free gift, the offer of the Lord Jesus of eternal life. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to read a portion of scripture there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. And we're going to talk about one of the specific churches of the seven churches of Asia. Uh, Revelation in the first few chapters talks about a message to the angel of the church, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Sardis, to the angel of the church at Thyatira. And all of these letters are written by Jesus to that local church uh, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Now, the book of Revelation was, was penned by, by John, but it was written by the Lord Jesus, authored by the Lord Jesus. And we call that sometimes in the plural, and we call it revelations. It is one revelation. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to read about 
a church at Sardis, and we're going to talk for a few minutes this morning about strengthening, strengthening. Have you ever been strengthened? Amen. I'm not talking about Geritol. I'm talking about has anyone ever strengthened you or encouraged you in the Lord? Have you ever been strengthened in your testimony, your witness? Have you ever been strengthened in your prayer life? Have you ever been strengthened by the Word of God when you read its pages or read certain things that spoke to your spirit? Uh, we're going to talk some about that uh, today, and I want you to, to get, get a good bit of that. Revelation chapter 3, did you get that for me? 3, 1 through 6, and let's, uh, let's read that. It talks about unto the angel of the church at Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Those stars represent those messengers, those pastors of those churches. So what that actually is saying is that Jesus has the stars in his hands, that Jesus has the life of those who preach the gospel. The pastor of that church, the angel of that church is in the palm of the Lord Jesus. He is, the, he is owned by the Lord Jesus. Isn't that good to know that you're not your own, you're bought with a price, and to know that we're a purchased possession? The Bible said, take heed unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church which he hath purchased with his own blood. Being as he has purchased the church, then he owns everything that pertains to the church. Amen. A pastor, praise the Lord, I thank God is in the hand of Jesus because it's owned by him being purchased by his own blood. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. I know your works. I'm glad to know that God knows, aren't you? I'm glad that God is keeping a record. Amen. He said, I know your works. It may not be published. Everyone may not know about the benevolence or the kindness or things that you do to enhance the kingdom work of God. You may not publish that. You may not talk about it. People may not know a whole lot about it. But the one who really matters knows about it. I know your works. I know your activity. I know the things that you have actively uh, done and the acts that you've actually pursued after and helped to strengthen people. He said, the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Brother, that right there now has, has turned this whole thing negative, hasn't it? You have a name, you have a testimony, and the actual Greek says you have a reputation. You have a reputation for being alive. But in fact, he said, you are dead. Boy, that's a terrible advertisement, isn't it? That you have a reputation, you have a testimony, you have a witness that you're alive, but you're not alive. In other words, you advertise something you don't have. You don't possess the possession that you advertise. I want to tell you, in these last days in which we're living, it is imperative that we be authentic. It's imperative that we be genuine. It's imperative that we have the testimony to back up the reputation. Amen? Thou hast the name that thou art alive. What do you think that encompasses? Just to say that a church is alive. Well, what does that mean? That means they're loud with their music? Not necessarily. I've heard a lot of loud people sing that weren't necessarily Christian even. So loudness or the amplification of, of whatever you're doing, preaching or singing or whatever, amplification of the voice does not necessarily make you alive and spiritual. Let's determine then what makes people alive or dead spiritually. You know, one of my favorite verses I quote all the time, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, or you hath he made alive. Amen. Made alive who were dead. You were dead. Now, that's, 
death in another sense than what we're talking about with this church at Sardis. To be dead is to be lost and without God. To be dead is to, is to not have the spirit of the living God in you, the resurrecting spirit, the making alive, the quickening spirit. The Bible says that the word of God is quick. What does that mean? It means that the word of God is alive. You mean it's not just ink and a pen and paper? It, it's not just words inscribed on a, on a parchment somewhere? Uh, how, what makes the word of God alive? It is alive because holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But also where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is life. There is quickening, life-giving power in the Word of God. That's why we preach, because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it hath pleased God. Well, we certainly want to please God. Missed a good chance to say amen. We certainly want to please God. So then if the preaching of the cross is God's method, then of people being saved, well, just listen to it. It hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But unto we which are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew and also unto the Greek. So then if there's life-giving power, spiritual life-giving power in the Word of God, then we need to take advantage of every opportunity we have to stay alive. You want to stay alive? Then keep hearing the Word of God. You want to stay alive? Keep reading the Word of God. You want to stay alive? Keep quoting the Word of God. If you want to stay alive, keep putting the Word of God in your heart. You want to live a righteous life, keep putting the Word of God in your life. David said, I have put your Word in my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against you. I've put, placed your Word in my heart that I might die because of complacency and because of disobedience. I want to keep the life-giving Word of God in my heart. What a tragedy for a church to die. Wow. I heard a sermon not long ago, the autopsy of a deceased church. Well, the actuality is that every year there are over 3,000 churches that close. Wow. Out of 380-something thousand churches in America, 3,000 of them are closing every year. Wow. All around us, we're seeing signs now in churchyards now for sale. For sale. Churches that at one time were vibrant. Churches at one time that they said, oh, wow, that church is really alive. They're really on fire for God over there. What happens between being on fire and alive and a for sale sign in your churchyard? How do you get to that place? Well, there are several avenues. There are several ways that you can get there. We'll talk about some more of those in a minute, but the first one is just plain complacency. Complacency. It's, the simple truth is people just get tired and people just get weary and go to sleep. I said, people just get weary and go to sleep. What's the next verse up there? And you'll find out why I'm making the point. Be watchful. You know what the original Greek says? Wake up! Be watchful. If you've got an NIV in your, in your lap there and you're reading from the New, New International Version, it says, wake up. Wake up. Y'all are nodding your head at me. It's got that. Yes, that's exactly what it says. Wake up. How could anybody be around the quickening spirit, a quickening word, 
and be asleep. What that means is you've just disconnected. You just disconnected. And that's the challenge that we all face. That if you don't attend to things that Christians do, then you'll become lethargic first. That means lazy. You'll become lethargic, and then eventually you'll just kill over dead. You've got to watch and be careful. Be watchful. And here's a central thing. Strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things that remain. So many times we're so concerned about things we lost that we forget to strengthen the things that remain. Sometimes we become so obsessed for folks who left us that we forget to strengthen the things that remain. Read, let's read what he said. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Well, what's he saying there, Pastor Don? He's saying what you've got left, the remnant you've got, that's a good word, remnant. Everybody say remnant. Remnant. The remnant that you got is what's left over. It's what's left over. And the Bible said about them, listen to this comment, and they're, they are ready to die. We, you've already gone through a big-time death, and the few remnant that you've got left are about to kill over. About gone too. So whatever got the big number is working on the small number. And if the small number doesn't do something, then they're going to wind up like the big number. Everybody comprende? Wow. What that means is you can't keep traveling the road you're traveling or you're going to hit the ditch. It means you've got to change something. It means you've got to turn around. It means you've got to repent. Boy, that's a hard word. Boy, that's a hard word. It's so hard to stand up and look people in the eye and say, unless you repent. Unless you repent. Well, let's just keep on reading then. Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. The one who's watching our works, the one who commends us for things we do that are good works, also is keeping watch over the things that he says they are not perfect. The, the wording is a little bit awkward there in the Greek. What it really means is not what they ought to be. Not complete, not whole, not 100%. Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side? Brother, if we had windows on our heart and you could look into our heart like Jesus can look into hearts and realize the things that are barely there are just about gone. And he says, now, what are you going to do? Number one, he says, strengthen those things that remain. Strengthen those things that remain. You know, all families have at least one member, maybe more, that has just got so much drama about them. Every family's got at least one, maybe two. And boy, so much drama. So much trouble, so much agitation, so much screaming and hollering, and I won't, and drawing lines in the sand, and you can't make me, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And as a parent, if you're not real careful, you'll spend all of your time with that drama, and you'll forget to strengthen those things that remain. Until eventually, those things that remain will see that the only way to get your attention is by causing drama. 
Come on, somebody. And next thing you know, you hadn't got just one, maybe two. Got the whole layout. And then you become dysfunctional. Wow. So he's saying to this church, watch and strengthen what you got left lest you become dysfunctional. Lest you get to the place that what's supposed to work just don't work anymore. And that's what we hear all over the church world now. All over the landscape of the church world, we hear this. Well, things just don't work like they used to. Well, you know, back when we did this and did that, hey, I want to tell you something. You got some things that remain. I said, there are some things that remain. Hey, the Word of God still works. I said, the Word of God works. You can trust the Word of the living God. The answers to many of the questions you face are in the pages of God's written Word. Amen. And God has so ordained it that it's available to you if you want to overcome, if you want to strengthen the things that remain, they're still there. Prayer still changes things. Prayer still changes things. Repentance and conversion still saves people. Baptism is true. Every believer who is converted, you ought to be baptized. Amen. These things that are, are the Christian, the principles of the Christian faith, they remain. And he's saying, Strengthen those things that remain with the remnants. God, God said, didn't say anything about worrying about the, the lost ones. He said, the ones that remain. You mean God is saying, I work real well with remnants. Remnants. You know, I, I know every night on your news feed, you get bad news. Every night you get something that wows you. People shooting, people stealing, people lying, people cheating. Uh, yeah, it's, it's in the world. Yes, it's in the world. But that doesn't mean that you have to be. It doesn't mean you've got some things that still remain. Some things that are right, some things that are holy, some things that are, that are justified in the, in the presence and the sight of God. You've got good things that are still there. Well, well they're just barely hanging, the Bible said. So they may be by, by hanging, but if you'll strengthen them. How do I strengthen them, Pastor? By doing them. You can strengthen your ability to comprehend the Word of God by reading it. You can strengthen the effect of prayer in your life if you'll pray. You can do meaningful worship if you'll just worship. Amen. Just do the thing. Not just be a hearer of the Word of God, but be a doer of the Word of God. A doer of the Word of God. The big mistake churches can make is try to fit in the mold that the world shapes for you. Trying to win the popularity contest. Trying to make everybody like you. Can I tell you, there will never be a time when everybody will like you. You don't have to like me, but you have to believe the gospel I preach because there's no other way. You may not respect me, but you've got to respect the Word of God because it's the only, only way. Now, let me tell you, Jesus got in real trouble when he started preaching that. In fact, he said, there's no other way to the Father but by me. That's over in John chapter 6, I think it is, verse 60. And he's got his disciples, and he's teaching disciples, saved people. Disciples are saved people. Do you agree they're saved people? You think Peter was saved? Some of you don't know. Sometimes. Verse 60 in John 6 says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, 
said, this is a hard saying, and who can hear it? What, what's the hard saying? Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way, he said. And then he says, you've got to be part with me in that if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood. Now, in the book of Revelation, here in the book of John, there's a lot of symbolism in this. A lot of symbol. He's not talking about eating his literal flesh. He's talking about participating with him in the work of atonement and redemption. He's talking about playing your role as a believer in that Christian function of the Eucharist, the bread and the wine, the blood representative and type of the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said the bread is this, and he, and he said, I am the bread of life. And if any man eats of the bread of life, eternal life, praise the Lord, he will have part with me in this redemptive process in bearing the cross of Jesus, literally. Praise God. In being a part of what Jesus is doing in redemption. And he said, whosoever drinks this cup, he said, this is a symbol of, a type of the blood that is shed for you. And he said, drink ye all of it at the first Eucharist. It was all about participation with Jesus, communion with Jesus. It was talking about joining with Jesus in the redemptive activity of cross-bearing. And listen to what Jesus said about cross-bearing. He said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross. Whose cross? His cross. You mean individually we have a cross? We've seen the guy that goes all over the country with that wheel on the bottom of a cross and he pulls that cross and travels all over the world and he says his ministry is just to remind people that it's through the cross that you can know God through the person of the Lord Jesus and what he did at the cross. That's a noble gesture. It's a wonderful work. Do I have to get out on Interstate 20 and get me a, a, a cross? And No. That's not your cross. His cross is to do that. God laid that upon his heart. That's not a part of having redemption. Amen. To pull a, a cross all over the world. No, that's... that. If he feels like that's his ministry, it's something God wants him to do, that's his cross. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Praise the Lord. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. My cross is to preach the Word of God. You may not be called to preach. You may not be called to teach. But there is something that God wants you to do, then you can title that my cross. And Jesus said this. He said, for if any man taketh not up his cross, he is not worthy of me. In other words, he can't participate with me in this redemptive activity, this uh, atonement for sin. Amen. And it's a, a good thing when we say, Lord, take every effort of these hands. Take every word from this mouth. Take every uh, activity that this person, this individual is involved in and use it for your glory and use it for reaching people in the kingdom. Why is that so necessary that we are working with Jesus in this thing called redemption and, and salvation? It's because there is an eternal destiny for every one of us. You see, there are two ways. 
There's a broad road, a wide gate, and you can travel that broad road because the Bible says many, many, many. But then he said there's another way, and he said its, its way is straight, and its gate is narrow and few. It's the same thing as remnant. I hope you're listening because your whole soul's destiny depends upon what I'm saying right now. Heaven or hell is involved in what I'm saying. There's two ways. You came in that door back there on one of those roads. I hope it's on the narrow with the straight gate and the destination is heaven. If it's not, then you need to change the road that you're on. Because if you keep traveling the road that you're on, you're headed for catastrophe. Catastrophe. John is speaking to this church. And he's saying to this church, you've got a reputation that you're alive. But he said, but in effect, you're, you're dead. And he said, the, the people that are affected by this, he said, they are re right ready to die. They're right at the point of death. How, for to me as a pastor, how can you as a church pull people away from the edge? I want you to think about that just a minute. If we've, we've got a few that are left that are right on the edge, how do we get them off the edge? Faye says it's revival. She tells me, told me this morning, are you ready for the revival? Revival, boy, that's, that sounds good. What is revival? What does revive mean? It means to rescue. To rescue. If we revive someone who is unconscious, then we've rescued, we've helped them wake up. If we come to the aid of someone who is lethargic and complacent, that, that cancer that eats away at churches until it literally sucks all of the strength out of them. Complacency will kill you. I said complacency will kill you. And there is a huge, big, cancerous spirit right now just sucking the life out of churches in America. And that's got to change. That's got to change. And only God can change that. God can change that with our cooperation with him. And say, yes, God, I'm ready for you to do what you can do in my life to get me off of the edge of spiritual death and help me, God, get to the place that I'm alive spiritually. Alive spiritually. Where that my prayers get answers where that my, my search and the Word of God reaches its destination, where all that I, I do in your name has purpose and has meaning according to your eternal purpose given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You know about remnants when many people talk about tough times, and I kind of laugh a little bit. Tough times for them is couldn't find a parking place close enough at Walmart. <laughs> Tough times. I was blessed to have five, two sisters and three brothers. There were six of us, and my dad was a preacher. Churches didn't pay very much back in those days. I think dad's salary at Jacksonville Church of God was $15 a week. What that meant was we mowed grass, we cleaned out gutters, we sold the grit. Now this generation don't know what a grit is. Like I say sometimes, you got to have hair the color of mine to know what grit is. Grit's a little newspaper that came out weekly, and we sold them, I think it was for something like 15, 20 cents, maybe a quarter. 
but we got to keep a nickel of that. So we sold the grit. We had a paper route. Donnie would pedal the pedals on the bicycle. I'd sit on the bar and I'd get newspapers out of the basket, put a rubber band around them and throw those things up in people's driveway. What I'm telling you is when you talk about life could sometimes be difficult, Lord, I'm telling you. You know what? This is a nice shirt. Boy, I love this shirt. You know what I wore when I was coming up? My mother took duenna sacks that feed, chicken feed comes in. And my mama made us shirts to wear at the school out of duenna sacks. And don't you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about because I know some of you come up as tough as I did. We used to go to stores where they had real nice clothes done. But we didn't go to buy anything. We went for Mama to take that tape measure of hers and measure how much a size this was and put it on our shoulder. So come here, boy. She'd put that tape measure up to measure me to see if a size seven there here was what you get in the picture. We didn't go there to buy. We went to get the remnants. There was a table over there on the side, and it had bolts. I thought a bolt was a screw and a tap. A bolt to people who sew material is remnants that's left over after you made your dress or whatever it was you was making. If there was some left over on a bolt, they threw it on the remnants table. Do you know where my mama shopped? The remnants table. And if she could stretch material enough around to get enough that would make a shirt. Remnants means what's left over. You ever felt like you were just a leftover kind of a person? You wasn't important enough to get in on that original part. You just kind of got labeled with that remnants group or what was left. But I want to tell you, God uses what's left. God uses what's left. There was a little woman. Well, I'm going to tell you about my butter beans before I leave that because you need to know how difficult that is. My daddy was a state evangelist and he went to start a revival for T.G. Pearson in Mobile at the North Pritchard Church of God. And he drove all the way down. They stayed three weeks in revival. They had a great revival, Faye. They just didn't think to pay the preacher. So we didn't have anything to eat for about three weeks. But we had a big old sack of dried butter beans, those big ones that Debbie loves that I hate. I can walk in the door and smell them cooking and tell you I hate them stinking butter beans. People in the church that's been here for any length of time know the pastor does not eat butter beans. Ooh. Brother, we ate butter beans for breakfast and dinner and supper for three weeks. Butter beans in the morning, butter beans in the evening, butter beans when the sun goes down. Have you ever went three weeks eating butter beans every meal? Holy cow. No wonder you know now why I don't like them. <laughs> Too much of a good thing, I guess. Thanks be to God. We got a letter in the mail on about the third week. It was from a lady in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. And she, my mother's name was Beulah. She wrote her and she said, Beulah, I don't know what in the world's going on at your house or what, what situation y'all are in, but said, this morning the Lord woke me up and said for me to send y'all an offering. And said, I had an extra $20 or so and said, I, I put it in this and it, whatever it was meant to be, God bless. Whoo, we went to the getting store, the getting place and got some pork chops. Thank God. Got some food to eat that 
wasn't butter beans, thank the Lord. God blesses the remnant. There was a little lady one time, come on, Olivia. There was a little lady who lived in a village called Zarephath. And God spoke to her. There was a famine that was going on in the land, and there wasn't a lot of food. There wasn't a lot of sustenance, certainly not a lot of water. And the Bible said that God spoke to her and said, there's a prophet coming, and said, you are to feed the prophet when he gets here. I'm sure she, but Lord, talked to God about it. But God insisted on her doing what he said. So just take the remnants, take what you've got left over. How much you got left over? She said, I got a few drops of oil in a cruise, and I've got a few little grains of meal in the barrel. God said, feed the prophet. Here we've got a prophet over here. He's at the brook at Cherith, and God speaks to him, and he says, I want you to go over to the widow's house at Zarephath and said, and I have, I have commanded her to feed you there. So here goes this prophet walking up into the yard of the widow of Zarephath. And the Bible said, he asked her, he said, said, what are you doing? She said, I'm gathering two sticks of wood that I can build a fire and make one more muffin, I guess you'd call it, for my son and myself, and said, and then we're just going to die. Can you, can you believe the pessimism in that? And then I'm just going to die. We're just going to die. And he said, well, why don't you go in there and make me a cake? And she said, sir, I only have a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. But whatever is left, at your command, I will do it. And the Bible said, and she went in the house and she made the, the, the cake and she uh, put the oil and put it and baked it and brought it out and fed him. And the Bible said, and until the famine ceased, she always had oil in her cruise and always had meal in her barrel. You see, sometimes God uses the remnant. Sometimes God uses what's left over. And he said, make sure you don't forget the small things. Make sure you don't forget about the things that remain after all hope is gone. Hey, if you'll look around, there'll be some remnants. And God said, strengthen those things that remain. When Jesus gave that, that exclamation, no man comes to the Father but by me. In other words, he was saying, you can't come up any other way. It's only through the grace of God, the mercies of God, the blessing of God that you can come to the Father. Praise the Lord. And the Bible said the disciples murmured. Murmured. If you've got an NIV, it says grumbled. Mad at the preacher because the preacher had made it too hard. Why did he make it too hard? Because he said there's no other way but Jesus. There's no other way but God's way. There's no other word but God's word. And the Bible said, Jesus said, what, what's wrong? What's, I, I, I see that there's trouble in your heart, and I understand there's something wrong. Are you offended because I told you that I'm the only way you can get to God. And the Bible said, and they turned and they left him. Have you ever had anybody leave you? Have you ever had anybody to walk out on you? Have you ever had anybody to abandon you? Come on, somebody. A lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of disappointment, a lot of heartache. And the Bible said that Jesus looked at the disciples as they turned and walked away. You mean disciples that had seen miracles? You mean disciples that had seen blind eyes open? 
You mean disciples that had seen a paraplegic get up off of his carpet bed at the pool of Bethesda, put it on his shoulders and began walking with his bed? You mean that that place over there at Nain where we ran into a funeral procession and Jesus stopped the funeral procession and spoke to the dead boy and raised him back to life? You mean disciples? Disciples that had seen all of that take place? Disciples that had been a part of when the roof was torn up and they lo uh, lowered a, a paraplegic man down before where Jesus was preaching and he was healed and got up and rejoiced? You mean the disciples that had part in, in healings and miracles? You mean the disciples that was there the day that we took the five loaves and, and two fishes and fed 5,000? You mean they were there? And it offended them that Jesus said, I'm the only way? That don't make sense to me, does it you? You're supposed to say no. Don't make sense to me. I think if I'd seen dead people get up out of a casket in a funeral procession, I believe if I had seen miracles with a paraplegic that had never walked a step and he got up and been leaping and rejoicing, I believe if I saw a blind man that had never seen in his whole life and suddenly Jesus healed him and he began to see, I don't think I'd have walked away. But the disciples, the Bible said, turned and walked away because of the hard saying of Jesus. The gospel just got too tough. The word of God just got intolerable. And they walked away. And Jesus said this to, the, to Peter. And this is one of those cheering times for Peter, so don't let him down. He's got a lot of moaning times, but he's got some cheering times too. This is one of the cheering times. And as Jesus turned to Peter, he said, Wilt thou also go away? Now's your chance. Now's your time. If you're going to quit, quit. If you're going to go away, go away. Now's the time. And Peter, glory to God, said this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the word of eternal life. Glory to God no other just in the Lord Jesus in fact Jesus said there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved neither is there salvation in any other Acts 10 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with fire with power who went about doing good healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And Jesus said to that church, strengthen those things that remain. Strengthen those things that remain. I would pray today and would ask that everybody in this house would do that. Paul, what is your secret for going on in life, bearing your cross? He said, forgetting those things that are behind. Things I can't change. People I can't change. Situations that I can't change. He said, forgetting those things that are behind. I press toward the mark and the prize of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. Now, if we break that down, he said, I press toward the mark. The original Greek means date, a date. I press toward the date, toward a day that the Lord has appointed. I press toward the date. High means upward. Calling is interpreted invitation. Listen to how it should read in the Greek. I press toward the day when I will receive an invitation to come upward. And he says, that's what keeps me going. That's what motivates me, is the date 
when I will receive the invitation. He asked Jesus, Lord, what will be the signs of your coming? And Jesus said, that is only given for the Father to know. It is not given for the Son. That was before the cross. Since the cross, the Lord Jesus looks over the balconies of heaven. And again, John says, Lord, how will we know? And what should we do? And Jesus leaned over the balcony and said, Strengthen those things that remain. And that's what Jesus is saying to a congregation of people here at Harvest today. Strengthen those things that remain. Strengthen the personal purity. Strengthen the morality, the decency. Strengthen the spiritual things, the word of the Lord. Singing spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, the commitment to the fact that Jesus is the only way. The only way. The only way. Stand with me, please. Strengthen those things that remain. Startling thing is that wake up verse. Well, that's what just reached out and grabbed me more than anything I've quoted to you today is wake up. Wake up. It, you know, it lets us know that it's possible for an entire church of people to be asleep. It's possible for an entire group, Larry, to be asleep. For it says to the church, the whole group, wake up. Wake up. Be on guard. Be alert. Similar words are over there in 1 Peter. Be strong. Be vigilant. Be alert because the devil, your adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. God help us. God help us to wake up if we need to wake up. God, help us to strengthen. If we're weak, help us to strengthen those things that remain. Because in doing so, we will affirm for ourselves a good, faithful outcome on that day of all days. Amen? Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to hear your word. Thank you for the fact that you've reached out to us with that strong arm and that mighty hand. I ask you now to touch everyone in this room, and may we leave here today with a deeper dedication and a consecration toward the fact that God wants us to be alive in the Spirit. And God wants us to get off that edge and start living our lives with purity and with, with praise and with glory unto our Heavenly Father. Dismiss us from this place, but not your sight. And we'll give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Everybody said amen. amen. You have a great, great Lord's Day. And you be blessed, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.